Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road Church in Guildford, UK. Thank you for joining us on the journey, wherever you are in the world. You can find out more about who we are and what we're up to at EmmausRoad.com. Good morning. So, we've been looking at a three-part series, haven't we, from Genesis. And so today, I'm going to be looking at the third in that, and I'm going to be talking to you about pitching tents, which seems pretty relevant, doesn't it, in light of the fact that after church today, loads more of us, as well as the 300 that have already gone, loads more of us are going to be packing up and making our way over to the Wildfires Festival, which is uh, our church time away. We're literally going to be pitching our tents. So before we do that, thank you, Mike. Am I falling off? Okay, thank you. (laughs) So before we pitch those tents, let's talk about Isaac. So as we prayed as leaders into what God was calling us to as a church this year, we felt God call us into a time of digging in, of going deeper with God in prayer, with our worship, and with the way we invest our lives. So we've been going through this series, uh, looking into Genesis 26 to explore this more fully. And so Bill and Hannah looked at what it means. Um, Firstly, Bill looked at digging wells, didn't he? Digging, unblocking the ancient wells, both in Guildford um, and more personally for us in prayer. And then Hannah looked at digging into worship, at building altars that are costly and sacrificial, of a radical encounter and a personal pursuit of God. And so today, I'm going to be looking at how Isaac pitched his tent in the place of God's blessing and what that means for us as church. Grab that water. So let's read Genesis 26, 1 to 6, and 23 to 25. There it is. Open this bottle of water. You can all watch me drink. Okay, Genesis 26. Now there was a famine in the land besides the earlier famine of Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees and my laws. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. 
And then if we switch to uh, 23 to 25, I was given a few verses. From there, he went up to Beersheba. That night, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you. And, and you will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. So Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. And there he pitched his tent. And there his servants dug a well. So the Lord speaks to Isaac. And it's an incredible moment, isn't it, of reaffirming his Abrahamic covenant now to Isaac. As a result of Abraham's faithfulness and his relationship uh, with God, Isaac is now to be blessed. But we read that the, all the blessings of the covenant are a direct result of Abraham's faithfulness and his obedience to God. So this implies that for Isaac to come into the fullness of all that God's word implies, it's going to be necessary for him to live in faithfulness and obedience to God too, just as his father Abraham had done. And the first step of this life of faithful obedience for him is for him to remain in Gerar for a while, which he does. And there... As you're aware, he begins digging those wells, as Bill taught us. And these, as some of you know, are contested. But finally, he comes upon favor. And he digs that well, which he calls Rehoboth, which means a broad place. Because at last, Isaac found his space. And from there, he goes up to Beersheba, and he hears again from God. And this is where Isaac is blessed in his own right. And as a result, he builds that altar and he worships the Lord. And in that place of blessing and affirming and anointing, Isaac pitches his tent and his servants dig a well. And Beersheba means well of the oath. So Isaac's called to settle. He's called to dig in and to wait for God's voice. He's told not to move until he knows he's heard it. It's not our usual message. It's not sexy. It's not the great commission. It's not the call to go. It's the call to stay. It's the call to build. It's the call to your community, to your neighborhood, to your collective, your workplace, your friends, your family. It's the call to put down roots. It's sacrificial and it's costly because it demands of your now time and your downtime. You know, the call to dig in and to put down roots can sound a bit like selling out, like it's not really going for it. But sometimes I think it can be harder to stay than it can be to go. I grew up moving house every five years or so, so the idea of staying put in one place seemed a bit weird to me. And when I met 
Pete, uh, one of our shared passions was a passion and a heart for mission. And when we got married, we moved county and even continent with our uh, heart and our mission to see churches planted and to see mission outworked. Um, but God broke my heart for community and place. When I was in America in 2005, I remember being on my knees in prayer, asking God, where are we going to go next? And he spoke really clearly to me, saying that we were going to go back to the UK. And um, in that place, that place would become home. So when we moved back from the States, we were praying about where God was sending us. And you've probably heard Pete tell the story uh, about where we were praying with our two boys, Hudson and Danny, when they were really young about uh, where the Lord was leading us. And we were seeking advice. And you'll have heard how I panicked in a really ungodly, unspiritual, un-Pete-like way. Uh, and I immediately assumed the worst when Hudson, who was about seven years old at the time, uh, told me he was hearing voices in his head or a voice in his head when I was walking him home from school one day. And I instantly freaked out and assumed the worst. And I told him, don't listen to it. You don't need to listen to that voice, darling. Just listen to mummy. Listen to what mummy's saying. All that mummy's saying is all you need to listen to. Mummy loves you. And I, just listen to me. And I just made things worse, which really isn't what you want to do as a mum, is that you want to make things better. But I seemed to make things worse, and he started crying. And he told me that, no, he needed to listen to the voice, because the voice was telling me that he loved him, and that we needed to move to Guildford. <laughs> it was God's supernatural, timely guidance, hindered only by me. As we were preparing for our move to Guildford, my mother-in-law, who prays daily for us, had some really helpful, practical, and godly insights for us, which spoke deep into my heart. Who knows here that parents and in-laws and elders can sometimes speak the word of God to us. <laughs> it was practical and simple, but God spoke to me right through it. She said, you've moved the boys' schools five times in as many years. This next move needs to be long-term for their sake. That practical, directional advice spoke deep into my heart. And it wasn't what I was expecting, but God put a whole new desire into my heart through it, where I'd always felt a bit restless and I'd always just been waiting for the next move, the next place, I found God put a new longing inside me to build and to root, to commit to this place and to all that God was calling us to for the long haul. And even now that Daniel's left school and he's gone off to college, I still meet up with some of the mums from his primary school that he first went to here, which is something I never imagined I'd be able to do. 
Committing to a place for the long haul and putting down roots means being known, being loved, and building in to community. So what are the keys to putting down roots in community? Isaac waited until he'd heard from the Lord and knew that he'd come into the place of God's blessing. And when he had, he pitched his tent there. The Bible teaches us about the importance of where we put our roots down. Jeremiah 17, verse 7 and 8, and Psalm 1, verse 3, show us that in order to be able to bear fruit, both in and out of season, we need to be rooted in God and in his community. Jeremiah 7, verse 8 says this, There will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. And the passage in Psalms is very similar. The Bible's amazing, isn't it? I love these analogies because they're just so simple and yet so profound. Suddenly it becomes so clear, so obvious. We just... We, all, we don't need a biology degree to get that if you plant an oak tree in by a river, it's going to thrive. Of course it will. And yet if you take that same tree, put it in a desert, it's going to struggle and it'll soon die. And it's exactly the same for us as Christians. We need to get as close as possible to God and to his community as possible. If we're not just going to survive, but if we're going to thrive as Christians. And the best way for us to do that is to get stuck into church and to get where you can find God's blessing, but also where you can meet, meet with Jesus and hear from him. And also where you can find people that help you to get closer to Jesus and who you know will make you feel better just by being with them because there's something of Jesus about them. You know? Regularly going to church feeds your roots and your relationship with God at all times, in the good times, but also the hard times. You know, it's all very well saying that you can be a Christian on your own. I've heard it, I've said it. But the thing is, being a Christian doesn't guarantee you an easy life. So what happens when the hard times come? The thing that helps me deal with difficulties in life and the thing that makes me be able to keep going and keep bearing fruit, even when I'm out of season, when God feels a million miles away, and when I can't hear his voice, the thing that gets me through those times isn't clenching my buttocks, gritting my teeth, and hoping. It's being around people who love Jesus, and who help me to worship him. And who helped me and to reveal to me that life-giving, healing, 
grace-filled love of God. Now, I'm aware (laughs) that the idea of digging into community, being known, being loved, is going to sound wonderful for some people here. But for others, digging in, being vulnerable, being known, is going to sound not so good for others. I know that because that's where I've sometimes struggled. My natural instinct isn't to be vulnerable. When life's hard, my natural instinct is to isolate myself, to try and deal with stuff on my own. What I've learned, and I'm still learning, is that to be open and vulnerable when I'm in times of need, rather than making me weak and foolish, makes me stronger. Because people don't want perfection in their friendships or in access only certain areas of me friendship. They want real access all areas, warts and all, friends. And we're a church of imperfect people, aren't we? Or is there someone here that's reached perfection already? Because I know I haven't. But God sees beauty in our imperfection. That's how he enables his grace to work. So let's stop being afraid of our imperfections. And I'm talking to myself here. Let's allow people in. Remembering that that's how friendships start. So what does it mean to put roots down in community? As I've said, number one, get stuck into church. If you're not part of Emmaus, this is the time to choose. We'd love you to pitch your tent with us. Number two, secondly, commit to building friendships in a mess and invest in them. It may be in collective, it may be in um, Alpha or Malbec, or it could be in a Bible study, or it could be in just, if you're not in an accountable relationship, just come along, just get stuck in somehow. If you find someone that you trust and respect, just get alongside them. I've loved leading Bible study for the past year, and what I find really moving is not just how deep and interesting and involved the Bible study gets, which is amazing, but just how deep and interesting, just how real everyone is with interesting, which is deepening to the friendship, sorry. And the whole Bible study gets better the more open and real people are within it. The more people uh, open themselves up, then the more we can be uh, committed to the whole group. And then the Bible study becomes further and real and the rewarding for everyone. Thirdly, in order to pitch your tent, ask God, what's he saying or asking of you here? This is the time to pray into God's word for you. And if you're not sure what it is, then spend time asking in your collective or with friends, what's God got for me? What's God saying? Seeking God's word for your life. So, what could stop you rooting in? One word, FOMO. The fear of missing out. 
You see, truly committing to one place means rejecting everywhere else, which is scary. So the fear of missing out constantly asks, what if somewhere else is better? So instead of getting stuck in, you hold back from people, places, relationships, churches, friendships, even jobs. The fear of missing out can hold you back from putting roots down and investing even where God has called you. We've got a friend who got himself really confused about who he should marry. He wanted to marry a woman of God. He wanted to marry someone who was really good looking. And he wanted to marry someone who was sporty. Fair enough, you think. The trouble was, he was really idealistic. We didn't realize quite how idealistic he was until he'd ended yet another relationship. Relationship after relationship was ending. We finally put our finger on the problem when we realized he was looking for a mixture of Mother Teresa, Barbie, and Jessica Ennis. <laughs> we had to break it to him that this woman probably didn't exist. And if she did, she probably wasn't, wasn't going to be interested in him. <laughs> He's happily married now. You need to stop waiting for the bigger, better blessing and learn to host the blessing of God now. I'll say that again. Stop waiting for the bigger, better blessing out there and learn to host the blessing of God where you are now. You may be feeling, I'm not aware of any blessing in my life. Things aren't going well, or where's God in this? He's not particularly leading me right now. Well, if that's the case for you, that's time to root yourself in community because it's in the community of God that you find blessing and you find God's guidance and help. And please remember, no one and nowhere is perfect. If you really commit somewhere for the long haul, then you have to endure seasons of disillusionment. The good and the bad thing about digging into community is that you can't run away when things go wrong, when you mess up and when you're hurting. The more we dig into our relationships, then the more, the more important it becomes to deal with any difficulties that come up. And this then become the building blocks of a better and stronger community that can love each other even through difficult times, even when we mess up or get hurt. And then by loving each other and talking and praying things through, we grow into a community that can love each other into more deeper uh, relationships that show Jesus to a messed up, hurting world with far greater authority. People are committing to things less and less nowadays. Membership to everything 
from trade unions to political parties is declining. And it's true for churches as well. It used to be that if you were a member of a church, then you never missed a Sunday. But now, statisticians say that church members and committed Christians go to church twice a month. Now, I totally understand this because life's getting busier. Demands on our time are increasing all the time. And I also realize that I'm preaching to the converted here by the very nature that you guys are all here. But can I say, as gently as possible, that if you only manage to make church twice a month, then your kids are only going to get half the discipleship. Your friends in church, your friendships will be shallower and you'll start to feel less known. On the other hand, if you get stuck in, start to come regularly, you'll soon begin to feel right at the heart of things. It'll help get your children more involved and perhaps by even volunteering on some team, you'll soon see how church can become community, your friendship group and your lifeline to help you in your relationship with God. The Office of National Statistics released new analysis and data for loneliness in England. And it found that in 2016 to 2017, there were 5% of adults who reported feeling lonely often or always. I want us to try and turn that statistic around. If we pitch our tent as church, in my thinking, people shouldn't be lonely. If there's an active, loving church in the community, that statistic can change. Wouldn't it be great if we all made an effort to get to know our neighbours and spent time chatting to them whilst out in our street, whilst on dog walks, perhaps even looked out to see if there was anyone on their own in our street who might need help in some way. People are lonelier these days, that's a fact. But the church really is God's weapon to fight it. Now my hope is that as a church, we're a welcoming community and we're as loving as possible. And if you're new or a visitor here, I really hope that you've been welcomed today and you should have received one of these sparkly, shiny little welcome packs. I hope you have, and that you should have been welcomed on the door. If for whatever reason you've not been, come and see me afterwards, because I'd love to say hi and give you that pack. Um, We try our best. We really do. We try more and harder and harder ways to, to make our welcome better. But honestly, I don't know what happens. It's like a James Bond maneuver. People manage to somehow slip in unseen and get through without being welcomed. It's incredible. I don't know how, but it happens. Um, The trouble is, the tragedy is, I think sometimes people do also manage to leave church too without ever having been spoken to once. I'm so desperate it doesn't happen here, but I'm sure it does. 
I'm aware it does happen because it happened to me when I first went to church. When I first became a Christian, I'd been going to church for two months and I almost gave up on God because no one had spoken to me. I was going along with my sister who knew everyone at this church. So I made up a ritual to cope. I sat in my seat at the end of the meeting for a few minutes. Then I would walk around the hall twice. Then I'd go to the toilet and I'd stay there for as long as I could. And then finally I'd go back to my sister and tell her we needed to go now. After two months, I'd had enough. I told her I was giving up on God, giving up on church and never going back. And she persuaded me to try one more Sunday. That Sunday, at the end, end of church, almost at the, at the point where I was going home, a girl came up to me and invited me to the cinema. That girl is the reason that I'm here today that small act of kindness. Church is about each of us playing our part to love, serve, and care for every member so that no one is left out or unwelcome or lonely. The truth is the grass really isn't greener anywhere else. It's just different. We've been given a part to play in this community, in this neighborhood that God's blessed us with. Let's pitch our tent here and enjoy learning together what it means to love God together, to love each other together, and to love our neighbors. This is the time to pitch your tent by a stream and let your roots dig in.